0: Hey, Life Canton. Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministry. Hope you're having a great week. Uh, We're so glad that you're listening to us, whether you're a new listener or a returning one. Welcome. Uh, Be sure to like, subscribe, follow all that so you can get... Our podcasts, uh, messages, and other things we put out too. Uh, either way, though, we are a community in which God is moving and up to some great things. And if you want to participate in that, we always welcome and, and invite you to participate in God's action. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. One of those ways is by giving. So head over to our lifechurchkin.org forward slash give page to give and be a part of that. But either way, I hope you enjoy the message we have for you today. We're in our summer series on 2 Timothy. And this week we have uh, another special guest in uh, Pastor Darren McCormick. I hope you enjoy his message. Give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a minute.
1: Father, we come at this moment of worship and reverence. God, to thank you for allowing us, God, to be here on another worship service. God, at this moment, God, we're just asking that you eliminate any distraction in our heart and in our mind, anything that we brought into this moment, God, anything that has beset us, God, anything that is troubling us, Lord, we just ask in this moment that we just focus on you because you are holy, God, and all we want is just you. At this moment of preaching, God, I ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds together so that we may hear what thus saith thee from your word. Bind the enemy, God, of confusion and oppression and depression, God, that would have us to be distracted in this moment. God, and we will give you praise and glory for victory that is already ours in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Clap your hands and give the Lord a hand of praise. All right, y'all can do better than that. If you love the Lord, clap your hands harder than that. Make some noise. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. My name is Darren. My name is Darren. My name is Darren and I am back and I am so glad to be back with you. Um, seems like Juneteenth was just, uh, last Sunday. Amen. But it was not. Um, but it's been, uh, a joyous experience thus far. We thank you for your friendship. Um, and we, we're so thankful to be here. Um, we're continuing our series today, um, in Second Timothy. And today we'll be focusing our attention on in chapter four, verses one through eight. Um, and I'll read those into your hearing um, in, in its entirety, and then we'll go through and walk through and just hear what the Lord would have us to—hear uh, what the Lord has for us today, okay? Chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, says this in the English Standard Version. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." If you'll allow me to tag this message with the theme or with the title to gather our hearts and minds and and your prayers around, I'd like to throw with us, go with this theme today, a charge to keep I have. A charge to keep I have. As we continue our series in 2 Timothy today in uh, verses chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Paul is now making his final turn in his personal letter to his protege or spiritual son, Timothy. Paul, being the great writer that he is, begins his conclusion by zeroing in on the case that he has been making for three chapters. And Paul, being a good writer, and for those that are still in school, I'm going to tell you like my speech teacher told me in sixth grade. A good writer understands the purpose of the introduction, the body, and the conclusion. The introduction? Tell them what you're going to tell them. The body? Tell them. The conclusion? Tell them what you told them. And so today we see that Paul is telling us what he's been emphasizing for now, like I said, three chapters by zeroing in on the case that he's making for this one word, endurance. And rather than further unfolding the idea of endurance, Paul is is doing what I'd like to call he's landing the plane. Paul is tying his argument up in a nice, neat bow. And what we need to know today also is that Paul's mortality and therefore eternity provides the backdrop of our text today. Now, I'm going to tell you today, before we get to the text, I'm preaching to myself. Last night or yesterday afternoon, a month-long process terminated um, with me being elected as the next lead pastor of a very prominent and strong Baptist church back in my hometown of Benton Harbor, Michigan. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I am terrified. I'm terrified. And so today, as I look at the words of Paul, as he is preparing his his as he as he has his mortality in front of him, as he's giving encouragement to his spiritual son, I can't help but 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 take this in today to understand that this is about endurance. Anything that we desire to do for the Lord, anything that God has given us to do in our lives, requires endurance. And so, two things Paul wants us to know or understand about endurance. We'll find those that understanding in the text. First, we'll begin with verses one through five. We'll see that verse one says, "I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing." And his kingdom. The first thing that we understand is that the solemnity of this charge is anchored in the audience of the charge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. By using the word charge, Timothy is receiving this charge likened to a witness being sworn in before testimony in a courtroom. Timothy is being sworn in, and the audience that he's been sworn in in front of is God the Father. And Christ Jesus. And he anchors the motivation of his charge by letting Timothy know that Jesus Christ will be the judge of the living and the dead. Meaning that the works that he is being charged with will be judged by Christ Jesus. And not only that, but he's anchoring it on the other side of our discussion of the second coming of Christ because he's saying by his appearance and his kingdom. The standards by which he's being charged, and the charge is anchored in the motivation of the fact that eternity is the backdrop. He's not receiving a charge in merely being commissioned to do a work on behalf of Paul. But Paul wants Timothy to understand the necessity of endurance is because eternity is at stake. And so he helps him understand that in order to make it, the first thing that Timothy has to do is stick to the task. Stick to the task. Verse 2 says this is the task that he is supposed to stick to. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So he defines the task of preaching the word, be ready in season and out of season. What is he to do? Preach the word. When is he to do it? In season when it's appetizing, when it's timely, when it's convenient, when it's in style, or when it's going to be well received, but also out of season, when it's not palatable, when it's inconvenient, when it's unpopular, or when it will not be well received. Essentially, Paul is telling Timothy that he must always be ready to preach the word. Listen, circumstances aside, what is the method that he, in the manner in which he gives him this charge? We'll see that also in verse two. Paul is telling Timothy to firstly, to firstly understand that he's supposed to preach the word to be ready in season, out of season. Now he, we understand he's supposed to reprove and rebuke. Rebuke means to chide, to censure, or to blame. Correction is also a part of this understanding, and it's to convince or to reprove is the word that's used here, and rebuke. Paul is telling Timothy to guide a person or guide the church to to the proper path of obedience and faith. Secondly, he tells him that he needs to rebuke, which means to chide or censure or to blame. He is supposed to, as the pastor, stop wrong behavior or belief. And lastly, he tells Timothy that the manner in which, in the manner and method in which he is to carry out the task, he's not only to reprove or to correct, he's not only to rebuke or to identify wrong, but he's also to exhort or to encourage. Meaning, to encourage means he's supposed to literally give courage and come alongside those in his congregation. He must do all of this with complete patience and teaching. That means that he must muster up enough strength in the Holy Ghost to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, which means full patience, and doctrine or teaching. He must teach them. He must do all this with patience so he can muster up what he has to ground his teaching in, which is the word of God. The King James Version said, with complete patience and doctrine. Why? Why? Verses 3 and 4 tell us why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, when looking at this, for me, a question rose. Why give him a charge and no favorable conditions to carry it out? For the time is coming when people will not, will not endure sound teaching, but you just told me to, to teach them with all complete patience and doctrine, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But they're having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So they have no interest in hearing the Word of God. They only want to hear what makes sense to them and what, what makes them feel good. And they will turn away from listening to the truth of the Word of God and will wander off into myths. You want me to tell them two plus two equals four? but they want to believe two plus two equals five. You want me to carry out the charge to preach your word, but you haven't provided favorable conditions. Why give someone purpose? This is the question that I ask when I'm reading this text. Why give someone purpose and nowhere to work it out or exercise it? Why fill me? And this is the question that I've been asking myself ever since I've, I've, I've come to this area and I've had uh, struggles in ministry of finding placement and finding uh, uh, attraction, if you will, with ministry and with, with opportunities to excel and to do what the Lord has put in me to do. Why fill me with possibility and potential? And place me in a social situation, a family situation, or a financial situation that makes the actualization of my purpose so much harder. I don't know if you're here today and you feel the same way. God has put something on the inside of you, but the conditions are not favorable for the exercising of that. But I want to point something out to you in the text that blessed me. Can I point that out to you? It's the word for. The word for. Now, in my initial reading of the text... I thought the word for was insinuating for your information, additional information, context, if you will. But the, but the answer to this question is in the word for because the word for is actually translated because. Timothy being, is being charged to preach the word to the ends of correction, rebuking and exhortation. Because his audience, his congregation, and his immediate social context, and even the broader social cultural situation that he's in, would not be favorable to the truth. God set it up that the purpose he put in him would match the predicament that he would find himself in. And the purpose that God gave him was the antidote or the solution to the problem that existed. This blessed me, church, our task or charge is not hindered by our predicament. Glory to his name. Oftentimes it is that our task or charge bolsters our purpose because our purpose is fashioned for our predicament. That blessed me. So often we think that our predicaments hinder our purpose. Negative situations or unfavorable uh, social context or unfavorable conditions in our lives hinder our purpose from being able to excel. We want to go to college, but we don't have the 529 or the Utma or the Ugma to, to, to provide the financial assistance or the parents with the good jobs, and they don't have the tuition to pay. So we have to look at financial aid, but our parents make too much money. I forgot I'm being personal. I'm sorry. Let me. We want want to have a family. We want to build our lives, and we want to do things. God has impregnated us with possibility, but we have no way to exercise it. But oftentimes it is that our task or our charge was made for our predicament. You know all Paul is communicating to Timothy in this text. You can handle the predicament. You can handle the predicament. So he goes on to further validate this in verse 5. He says this, great opposition equals endurance. So he tells him the manner in which he's supposed to, he defines the task. He tells him the manner and the method to which he's supposed to carry the task out. He tells him why he's to carry out the task. But then he differentiates, him, he differentiates the discussion now on how to carry out the task. Remember, we're still talking about point one, which is stick to the task. Verse five starts out and says this, as for you. Ask for you. That word, ask for you, or that phrase, ask for you, is defined, related only to you. What you are responsible for are the following things. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What does that mean, preacher? I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but I'm glad you did. Go with me. Always be sober-minded. The New International Version uses this phrase, keep your head. How do you stick to the task? Remain focused on the task, the charge, or the purpose, and don't be intimidated by what you see. That's the first thing he tells him: be sober-minded. Sober-minded, that means undistracted. That means that he's not, uh, he's not tainted or he's not under the influence of his own stinking thinking. But he's sober-minded because his focus is on the purpose at which God has given him because now he understands that the conditions that you're faced with will not hinder your purpose and the conditions conditions have nothing to do with the purpose that God has put on the inside of him. Therefore, as for you, don't worry about them. Don't worry about what you see. Don't worry about how it feels. But as for you, be sober-minded. Then he tells him to endure suffering. Now, I'm a wordsmith, if you will, and I don't like defining words with the definition. So if I tell you, if you ask me what does all mean, I say all, that's not a definition. So if we're talking about defining endurance or walking endurance out, you're telling me to endure suffering, but I'm learning what that means. Here's what that means. Joyfully enduring or intentionally enduring suffering or enduring with an end in mind. Let's go to Hebrews 12, verse 2. You'll see what what this means. Looking to Jesus, the King James Version says, the author and finisher, but the English standard says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What that verse is saying is because Jesus endured, on, he could endure on Friday because he knew Sunday morning was coming. The joy that was set before him was the resurrection so he could endure or take the pain of the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joyfully enduring means that you are enduring with an end in mind. You can see the goal. I can see the purpose. I can see where I'm going. My circumstances don't look like it. My bank account doesn't look like it. My body doesn't feel like it. But Lord, I will I will endure because I see the prize. I see where you're leading me. I see what you're doing in my life. And if I can see it, God, I thank you that I can joyfully endure it. He tells him this, to do the work of an evangelist. Now, if you go back to verse 7 of chapter 1, you'll see that he tells Timothy, and this is not on the teacher screen, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of of a sound mind, or as the English standard says, of self-control. Do the work of an evangelist means to tell the good news of Jesus. But you're telling someone who is shy to go tell people the good news of Jesus because the purpose that God put in him, the challenging circumstances require him to use the gift that he probably wouldn't have if circumstances were favorable. You ever thought about the fact that maybe we're in certain situations in our lives because God knows that the only way he'll get some things out of us is if he forces us into situations where we have no other choice but to walk that certain thing out? You hear what I'm saying? You didn't know you, didn't know you could cook or make. I, there was. Listen, my wife can make a meal out of anything. I look in the refrigerator. I'm like, there's nothing in here to eat. Like, we got to go to the store. There's nothing in here. My wife can go in there and you hit some pots clinking and clinking. And before you know it, dinner ready. What dinner? What am I saying? I'm saying that in situations or in circumstances, y'all know about in-between week, right? You know, when you get paid bi-weekly, you got that in between week, you know, and sometimes money started looking funny and change look strange. Amen. And so my wife is in a situation where it's like, she was like, well, we had to eat something. Because circumstances put us in situations where where we have to do work that we wouldn't normally do. We find strength that we didn't know we had. We find strategy we didn't know we knew we didn't know we could come up with. We find we find peace that we didn't know we could have even though circumstances all around us or we able to do things we didn't know we could do. Be an evangelist. I didn't know I needed to be an evangelist, but the situation requires that he's an evangelist to tell the good news of Jesus. Fulfill your ministry or make full proof of thy ministry. Carry it out until the end. Don't just keep your head. This is how you endure. You keep your head. You stay objective. You joyfully endure suffering because you have an end in mind. You have a goal in mind. You have have your sight set on the prize of God. Do the work of an evangelist, which means joyfully do things you wouldn't normally do. And rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit to give you the power to fulfill your ministry or to carry it out to the end. You know why he told him to carry it out to the end? Because the world was depending on Timothy to hang in there. And I came to tell you today that the world is depending on me to hang in there. The world is depending on you to hang in there. There's a church in Ben Harbor who lost their pastor and has elected me as their shepherd, not because they're so impressed or enamored with my gifts or with my talent, but they're saying we're depending on you to lead us further. So Darren has to fulfill his ministry, come what may. Darren has to make full proof of his ministry. You have to make full proof of your ministry because somebody, somewhere is depending on you to make it. Tells him to stick to the task. But then secondly, and finally, he tells him to secure the testimony. Stick to the task and secure the testimony. Verses 6 through 8, we'll find that Paul writes these words, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Remember, I said that Paul understood that his mortality was near. He's now in his second imprisonment, and this imprisonment is not like the first imprisonment. The first imprisonment, he was at home this time he's below the jail. The first time Paul expected to be released, this time Paul knows that he's headed to Nero's chopping block. And so Paul now turns to testify to Timothy by letting him know, first of all, that I know that my end is near. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, which means that my life has already been given. And what Paul is saying here is that I am dying empty. The time of my departure is at hand. I preached my grandfather's eulogy on February 26, 2022, one of the hardest days, the hardest day of my life. And this text, this particular phrase, this particular word, departure, stuck out to me. Because the word departure, means loosening, a loosening of a ship, setting for sail. Paul understands that the time has come in his life where he must let up the anchor and set for sail as he begins to head to the other side. But as he begins to head to the other side, he testifies to Timothy. But many many would read this and just assume that Paul had gone on a tangent. But if you really look at how Paul wrote this or how this is to be looked at, it's looked at like this is his epitaph, but his epitaph is also the second part of the charge. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. What he's really saying here is I have... So you must. He's saying, as I near the end of my life and I know that Nero's chopping block is in in view, eternity is now next for me. I have fought a good. Remember, this is Paul concluding his letter. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my, my race and I have kept the faith. First, Paul declared, I have fought the good fight. Therefore you must fight the good fight. Paul described his life in similar terms except the focus and the discipline that he employed were like a soldier fighting for a faithful cause. He gave his life only because only to the cause of worthy devotion to Christ Jesus. He stayed with this fight through the rigors, the sacrifices, the persecutions that we discussed two weeks ago, and the deprivations in order to receive the victor's reward. Next, he tells him that I have finished the race, therefore you must finish the race. Athletic competitions were as popular in the ancient world as they are in our own. Most people were familiar with the training and discipline necessary to succeed in athletic contests. Paul viewed the successful completion of his life before God in this very way. And this was the very thing that he asked of Timothy. This is all any of us can do. The only thing that we can do is finish our own race. God calls upon each life in different details. He calls upon each of us with different details and specifics. But the desire of faithful endurance is the call for all of us to make. We finish the race one step at a time. You get your degree in school by going and finishing the semesters one semester at a time. You finish the semester one class at a time. You finish the classes one week at a time, one class at a time, one assignment at a time. You build your marriages one day at a time, one circumstance at a time, one year at a time. We build our businesses one decision at a time. We build our lives by making decisions, small steps every day. If there was a survey done in the room of those who who may be a little bit more older or mature, they will tell you, you don't make it to any point in your life by looking so far ahead that you lose sight of 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 the right now, but you take it one day at a time. My grandmother got up every morning and she would say, Lord, I thank you. For one more day, she would go to bed at night and say, Lord, I thank you for keeping me one more day. One day I asked my grandmother, I said, grandmother, I want to be like you and grandfather, because you all have faith that I've never seen before. And she said, baby, you get it one day at a time. We finish this race one step at a time, choosing to testify of God's goodness and grace by living rightly every day. There's a song by the, 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 this group called The Caravans. If you, you never heard The Caravans, just go look them up and look at this song. It's a beautiful song. It says, to, these are the words, Lord, keep me day by day. And then finally, Paul concludes this remark, the I haves and the you musts. He concludes it by saying, I have kept the faith, therefore you must keep the faith. This is summarized, this summarized what all of the other phrases had described. In life and in doctrine, he stayed the course and he stayed the course with integrity and with a steadiness of faith and fidelity to the Lord. That's all any of us can do, is keep the faith. As Paul tells Timothy, I have fought a good fight. You must fight a good fight. I have finished the race. You must finish the race. I have kept the faith. You must keep the faith, meaning you must live in a way that is integral and that maintains fidelity to the, to, to the Lord. He closes this remark with a good old churchy word. Henceforth, there is laid up for me. A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all of those who have loved his appearing. The word henceforth means the only thing left now. Paul is saying that after all of the discussion that we've had in these four chapters, I'm, I'm, I'm ending my remarks to you. I'm ending my personal encouragement to you. Because now henceforth, the only thing left for me to do now is to go get my reward, my crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But look, he reaches back to the first verse and lets him know that. He. Remember, we opened up with the idea that eternity was in the backdrop, but now we're closing with eternity in the backdrop, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Henceforth, after you fight the good fight, after you finish your race, after you keep the faith, he's helping Timothy understand that even if you don't receive a reward in this plane of existence, there's a reward waiting for you in glory. I know we get uncomfortable, but but glory and heaven are real realities for those of us who are saved. We have an inheritance in heaven, and Paul is saying that if you you fight the good fight, if you finish the race, if you keep the faith, what you have to look forward to when it's all said and done is the righteous judge crowning us with our reward. That's why this song that I learned growing up in church, matter of fact, I learned it in children's church, you won't believe that I learned it in the children's church because it's such an old hymn, but black folks teach their kids old hymns. Amen. The song says this. The title of the song is the title of our message, A Charge to Keep I Have. Verse 1 says this. A charge to keep I have. A God to glorify. Listen, a never-dying soul to save and fitted for the sky. Verse 2. To serve this present age, my calling or my charge to fulfill. Oh, may all my powers engage to do my master's will. Verse 3, arm me, this is the songwriter talking to God now, with watchful care. As in thy love, as in thy sight to live. And now thy servant Lord prepare a strict account to give. Verse 4 says this as the worship team comes. Help me to watch and pray and still on thee rely. Oh, let me not trust, let me not my trust betray, but press to realms on high. Lastly, there's another song that I heard in church and it says this, I'll just say the one, one verse for this. Song says, if you can't help me, Please don't stop me. Move out of my way. Don't try to block me. I've got a race to run and I'm running by faith because at the finishing line, I'm going to see God's face. At the finishing line, that's, that's, a, hey, that's churchy right there. At the finishing line, I'm going to see God's face. He tells Timothy to stick to the task and to secure the testimony. And in telling Timothy to secure the testimony and to stick to the task, he's also telling us to endure till the end. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill or carry out your ministry to the end. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the word in which we have heard today. We thank you, kind spirit, for reminding us, Lord, that through your word, we are asked to endure until the end. God, you give us the power through the spirit to endure. But Lord, if we're honest, there are some things that just don't make sense to us, some circumstances that are not favorable. God, there are things that are happening in our lives, even right now, that are not congruent with the purpose that you've put in us. But Lord, we pray that as the word has gone forth today, that you would give us an inspiration and an encouragement to know that ultimately you have put that predicament, you have put us in that predicament to further sharpen our purpose. You have given us the strength because you have put the purpose in us and you have promised in your word that you would never leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, we ask as we reflect and as we look at our lives, God, we ask that you would help us to stick to the task. But we also ask that you would help us to secure the testimony. Help us to fight the good fight, help us to finish our race, and help us most of all to keep the faith. And God, in all of these things, we'll be careful to give your name, the praise, the glory, and the honor. Because we know, God, that you are in control. There is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing that you cannot do. And so we believe that today, in Jesus' name. If you love the Lord, why don't you make a sound and say amen. Let me tell you something that I learned. Victory is not a disposition. Victory is not a place. Victory is a sound. If you've already got the victory, you ought to stand on your feet and give God a praise like it's already done. Whatever it is in your life that you need God to do for you, you ought to stand on your feet and give God a victorious praise like it's already done. Praise him like the bill is paid. Praise him like your body is healed. Praise him like your child has been delivered. Give God the praise.
0: enjoyed that really powerful message on God's calling and and some of the ways that he prepares and sends us out as modeled to us in life of Paul and Timothy. Uh, I hope you have a blessed week as you process some of the challenges and and lessons that Pastor Darren taught us this week. Uh, But if you are also trying to process anything else and you need prayer or support, please reach out. Uh, This is a community where you belong to God, so you belong to us. Uh, reach out on a connect card and let us know if you need prayer or, or anything else or just reach out to one of us personally um, to connect. Um, we'd love to get you plugged in and, and to hear your story uh, and get to know you. So hope to hear from some of you this week, but otherwise, I hope that uh, this week you hear some of God's calling on your life and the ways that He has prepared you to live out that calling in uh, and, and some of the situations He may be calling you to. But have a blessed week and, and I will talk to you real soon. See ya.